This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. The federal election is tomorrow, following a period of early voting last weekend that saw about 5.8 million people turn out to cast ballots. The polls have consistently positioned the Liberals and Conservatives in a virtual tie for voter support, which means neither party would win a majority. And Justin Trudeau could win re-election, but maybe with a smaller minority than when Parliament was dissolved. In their final conversation before the election, Fightback's Tuesday strategy panel weighed in with their thoughts. Here are John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. Yeah, it's, that's what the polling says. And as, you know, John has always pointed out, polls are, a, you know, a moment in time. But as the election gets closer, then... You know, there's always that period where uh, the momentum is now where it is and people are locked into their their vote. And and I'm not sure how much more room there is for people to shift and move. And But it, it is interesting in that, the, the, you know, the, un, the unofficial polls of, you know, water cooler chats and being at the hairdresser and being at the dog park, um, you know, the sense that they, the Liberals have lost their way a little bit and that people are talking uh, about voting in alternative to how they may have voted in the past. And, and, and that, that for me, is it, is it is interesting to hear whether they actually do that at the polls is yet to be seen. But, but there is a dissatisfaction, I think, uh, with, with the call of the election, uh, with some of the decisions that the government has made. And, um, you know, this is just, a, it's, I think, a more difficult election for Justin Trudeau than he anticipated. You know, he has said that he doesn't regret calling the election, but I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that's true. And uh, Charles Souza, here's a question that I posed to people yesterday. Is the election uh, about Justin Trudeau as the ballot question, or is it about the policies of each of the parties? Yeah, and the most, you know, mostly we talk to, they talk about personalities, talk about individuals, uh, uh, traits and the the campaign is is very much around Trudeau and very much around O'Toole now to try to project him as being somebody that is not your typical uh, conservative extremist who seems to be almost touching the issues of the People's Party, right? So they're all trying to get to the middle ground. They're all trying to be a bit more moderate. Yeah, and initially people were it was irritant. I mean, calling the election was an irritant. People were disappointed, but now. As things are getting really close, people are angry because they're angry at some of the pushback that's being made in regards to some of these very personal attacks and these anti-vax movements that are creating a lot of havoc and and distress with the healthcare system and healthcare frontliners. Right. So this is actually helping Trudeau to that extent. John, uh, what do you think? How is Aaron O'Toole do, doing? And he he launched. He was a pretty. That's a pretty 
personal attack saying, you know, we all know people like Justin Trudeau. He's only out for himself. Uh, he's a rich boy while, while I was doing search and rescue missions. Well, and I think that's that's compare and contrast, right? That's the, the, the art of, of politics is to be able to sort of compare and contrast who you are and who your opponent is. And I think that we, we've got to remember when, when Justin Trudeau called this election some four weeks ago, which seems like yesterday, quite frankly, to some of us, but, um, you know, he was 15 points, 10 points ahead, and everybody was talking to a majority. We're now in, and you mentioned a couple of poll results, uh, maybe we're now within a margin of error, which means that it's now a game of inches. We're now to the final stretch. It's it's within a margin of error. Um, but I do feel that the, the ballot question still isn't out there. Uh, there's There are pollsters who are asking questions about what, what really gets you angry about this. And no one's been able to congeal around any single issue, which I think is going to be a problem because this election campaign has politicized vaccine, the debate about vaccines and not vaccines. So we're seeing these protesters largely because this, this campaign has created that politicization of that issue. And I think that's going to hurt the Liberals. And I, and I agree with Karen, the water cooler kind of discussion that we're hearing and that I'm hearing on the street and in my condo building where people are saying to me, John, I voted Liberal. I am not voting Liberal this time around. Whether that's going to turn into conservative votes is yet to be seen. But I do think something's going to happen on election day that's going to surprise a lot of us. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Fight Back's Tuesday strategy panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. More now on the polling for the federal election in the final stretch. On Wednesday, Libby was joined by two pollsters who have very different methods of crunching the numbers. Lauren Bozanoff is president of the Forum Research Group, and Aaron Kelly is CEO of Advanced Symbolics Incorporated, an Ottawa-based company that created the Poly Polster Artificial Intelligence technology used to predict election results. The AI technology uses social media data and people's online behaviors to make its predictions on how people behave in real life. If the election were held today, we are seeing a 57% chance of a liberal minority government and a 40% chance of a conservative minority government. But important to mention, this this really means a five-seat difference because we're looking at seat counts. Uh, so while the conservatives are ahead in the popular vote, the liberals are ahead in the seat count, which is what matters at the end of the day. And... Um, but that that keeps changing. We're seeing it flip back and forth in terms of the seat count. So it's definitely not ready to call it final yet. And was there ever a time when it was reversed and the Conservatives had a bigger seat count? Oh, yes, it was. It was reversed um, just a few days ago. So um, we're we're definitely seeing that it, it goes back and forth on, on the weekend or I think Friday, Saturday, it was the Conservatives that were ahead. So it, it is still in flux. Uh, Lauren, what's your take on this? Uh, you know what? Really, very similar. It is pretty much a dead heat in terms of the popular vote, and in the seat counts right now, the, the way that the popular vote is distributed, it does give the Liberals a bit of a an edge. And in fact, um, in the in the election two years ago, the Liberals actually got fewer votes than the Conservatives, but ended up with more seats. So it's kind of looking like that. It's going to happen again. It could be that the Liberals are going to be slightly behind in, in the vote count, but slightly ahead in the seat count. 
One of the things that that people are uh, pondering about is that they're saying that Aaron O'Toole had an edge, but his edge has been dropping. Lauren, are you finding that? You know what? It has been going back and forth, and he did have the edge, and he then started to lose it, but it's possible he's starting to regain it in the last day or so. So these last few days are really going to become critical. And in fact, you know, with the summer campaign, I don't know how much attention people have been paying to things and really hasn't kicked off, or, you know, in terms of people paying attention until after Labor Day and after the kids get settled into school and so forth. So we're really in the days that count now. Aaron, did you find that the debate actually made a difference? It, the, the debate made a difference, but not in the way that the candidates had hoped, I don't think. So the biggest difference that the English debate made was in angering Quebec, uh, ironically. So uh, what we found after the English debate, because of the way the questions were posed to the Bloc Québécois, made it uh, put the Quebecers on the defensive, feeling like English Canada doesn't understand us again. And so we saw support for the Bloc Québécois go up among people who were previously going to vote for a federalist party. And it really has impacted the conservatives a little bit more than the liberals, um, people who are going to take a chance, if you will, on Aaron O'Toole for the first time, retracted and, and brought their vote to the Bloc Québécois. Now, we're seeing that come back again. Uh, we're seeing some of those Bloc supporters, you know, get over it and come back to a federalist party. But that was the biggest impact that we saw from the English debate. Lauren Bozanoff, what would you like to leave us with? Um, you know what? There's a few days to go. It's really, it, this, this race is so, so close. And in our system, just 1% of the vote change can, can, can change the government. And Aaron Kelly? Get out and vote, because one of the things we've seen is engagement is a lot, is really flat in this election, which makes us think that maybe voter turnout will be low. And this is the last thing you want to do is not vote when it's so close. So just get out the vote. Aaron Kelly is CEO of Advanced Symbolics Incorporated, an Ottawa-based company that created the Polypolster artificial intelligence technology used to predict election results, and Lauren Bozanoff, president of the Forum Research Group. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, what representatives of Ontario's business community are saying about the coming vaccine certificate program. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. On Tuesday, Ontario residents learned details of how the new vaccine certificate system will be implemented. As of this coming Wednesday, September 22nd, you will have to show your provincial proof of vaccination receipt along with photo ID in order to get into a restaurant, gym, or a concert or a theatrical production. A more reliable barcode system is expected to be ready by October 22nd. It will be up to employees of businesses to check your vaccination status. Critics say it's an extra burden at a time when many businesses are already short-staffed. But this is something members of the business community have been pushing for as the best means to avoid another lockdown. 
Joining Libby for a discussion on the vaccine certificate program, Derek Vallo, co-owner of Pucka Restaurant, John Karastamatis, Director of Sales and Marketing at Mervish Productions, and Lindsay Broadhead, Senior Vice President, Communications and Public Affairs at the Toronto Region Board of Trade. This is a very good first step. Um, and, and that is, um, frankly, how we're looking at this. It, 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 we needed some steps to be taken, um, and, and any step will, we will embrace. Um, the, the better step, of course, is going to be what happens in October so that there's some sort of digital validation to it. Uh, it takes some of the weight and pressure off uh, owners, uh, especially if uh, you're running a business that involves uh, more people going through the door. So I imagine John will have something to say about, you know, the volume and, and uh, capacity limits. Um, and certainly when we look to, you know, even larger uh, events uh, down at, uh, you know, if you're going to a Jays game or uh, eventually basketball. Um, but what we're still uh, waiting for, um, and, uh, you know, we think that there should be some readiness in, in the planning, uh, is the best solution. Uh, and, and that's one that is interoperable, that is used uniformly across businesses, not just some, uh, and, and where there are consistent standards. John, so I'm, I'm trying to imagine there's a, a play going on, a performance going on. There are quite a lot of people who normally show their tickets. Um, uh, how comfortable are you with checking their vaccine status? You know, if it will help keep, the, keep everyone safe, we're very comfortable. And we know it will help keep everybody safe. Uh, luckily... Uh, we already have, you already need something to get into a theater, and that is a ticket that has to be checked by an usher or a ticket taker. So we're just adding just a second thing, well, really a third thing, because you need ID and you need your vaccination proof, which at this point can be uh, uh, your receipt from the Ministry of Health from your second dose. You can get that digitally or you can get a paper copy just by going to the ministry's website. Uh, and it's, it's fairly simple. It's happening right now at the Princess of Wales Theater where there are, uh, Toronto International Film Festival screenings. Um, and it's a two-step process. Uh, uh, there's a group of people that check the vaccine certificates and the ID. And then there's someone who checks your ticket and, and uh, tells you where your seat is. Um, so it's it's doable, and uh, it's a it's a very very important step in creating a safe and comfortable environment for everybody after eighteen months of not knowing what's going on. Derek, uh, what about you? You have a neighborhood restaurant, Paka. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to echo you know, what what Lindsay had said, and uh, obviously. This is a great first step. It would be wonderful if we had the, uh, you know, the digital uh, scanning available because there's going to be, I think, a lot of fumbling around for the first uh, few weeks where we get comfortable with looking at pieces of paper, looking at pieces of uh, uh, licensed driver IDs and uh, telephones, um, you know, and matching that all up, which is obviously going to be a little more difficult in a restaurant situation. Maybe some of the 
larger operators where they have hostess and host stations and staff that, um, to, to double check these things, it'll be easier. But for a small restaurant like ourselves, you know, that burden is going to fall on, uh, obviously management, someone like myself, an owner and our service staff. So, you know, the, we're all anxious to see how it goes. We're, we're worried about there's, there's word, uh, worry of, you know, confrontation. Um, but I think the fact is, you know, 80% of the, the country has at least got one vaccination, if not close to, to two now. So I, I think it's going to be uh, a minimal when it comes to uh, pushback on this. Derek Vallo, co-owner of Pucka Restaurant, John Karastamatis, Director of Sales and Marketing at Mervish Productions, and Lindsay Broadhead, Senior Vice President, Communications and Public Affairs at the Toronto Region Board of Trade. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Hundreds of millions of birds migrating through the United States and Canada this month have died after crashing into glass windows. It's happening amid a dramatic drop in bird populations all over North America. From September 27th to October 3rd, teams from around the world will be patrolling the areas around buildings looking for birds that have collided with windows. It's all part of the Global Bird Rescue, and it's being organized by a group out of Toronto. Members are trying to raise awareness about the damage to global bird populations from bird collisions with reflective windows on high-rises and homes, collisions that are largely preventable. Michael Masur is the co-founder of FLAP, Fatal Light Awareness Program, and he joined me Thursday on Fightback. Birds are being faced with a whole gamut of stresses from habitat loss, uh, pesticide use, uh, and cats uh, are also one of, if not the leading cause of bird death across North America, with buildings uh, being a very close second. So uh, with that uh, and just statistics showing that bird populations are plummeting all over North North America at an alarming rate, we really do have to pay very close attention to these issues. So what have we seen in Toronto, for example, with window crashes? Right. So if we look at the city of Toronto, um, the estimate, estimation of uh, bird strikes that can occur in any given city like Toronto is anywhere from one to 10 birds per structure each year. Now, if you look at the city of Toronto, there's well over a million structures uh, in the Toronto area that birds have the potential to collide with, which makes an astronomical number just for Toronto alone. And you can very quickly understand then why this, this issue of bird collisions is such a, a great concern among conservation groups and, and government agencies. And when is it happening, Michael? So these are during migration periods. Is it primarily during the day, at night? How does the light contrast uh, fit into this phenomenon? Right. When you look at, the, there, there are actually two issues that are occurring. There are birds that uh, during the migration seasons, uh, can be attracted to bright lights escaping from tall structures, like we will see in the city of Toronto. Um, when that occurs, they can find themselves then trapped within uh, within those dense city areas. The day breaks, and then the birds have to then contend with all the glass within that, that built environment. Again, this is not limited to Toronto. This isn't limited to dense urban centers. This can happen right up there in, in Algonquin Park with a, a little cabin that might be sitting on a lake. Anywhere you have glass has the potential to kill birds. 
uh, as a result as a result of those collisions. But the awareness of the special windows uh, has been on the rise and growing in popularity. In fact, there are bylaws for new buildings in Toronto to have the proper kinds of windows to deter birds from flying into them. Correct. Yeah, the city of Toronto was the first city in the world to introduce mandatory requirements, uh, bird-friendly mandatory requirements for for low, mid, and high-rise construction. And if you get a chance, just keep your eyes open when you're when you're walking around the city. You'll be amazed at the number of structures that now have special markers on those windows that cover the entire surface area in an effort to reduce bird strikes uh, during during the daytime. And this is spreading to other areas. This is now in the city of Markham, the city of Vaughan. We're seeing similar things happen in Ottawa, Calgary, Vancouver. Uh, this is really growing its momentum. Very important that this be taking place. And so to explain how the windows are treated in such a way that they deter the birds uh, from moving in that direction. Right. A, a great way to kind of give this some perspective. Uh, look at a, 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 an entranceway to a mall or even look at a bus shelter. You will notice that there is something at our eye level that alerts us to the presence of that glass. It could be a row of decals. It could be a series of stripes. Um, we need to extend the same courtesy to birds, but we need to cover the entire surface of that glass area with markers. So if you look closely, a, a great example is a dotted pattern that's become quite popular here in Toronto, yes. where you have quarter-inch uh, dots spaced two inches apart vertically and horizontally that cover the entire surface. And, and that, that spacing of marker is enough to alert birds to the presence of that glass, but it doesn't obscure our ability to see through the glass, nor is it aesthetically unappealing. It's actually, in some cases, it can be quite attractive, depending on the building design. How do we get involved? Uh, the website to go to? Right. There, there's, there's a couple of websites. First, our, our initial website, flap.org, filled with all kinds of information on tips, resources on how to mitigate the threat. There is globalbirdrescue.org, which is specifically for the event of Global Bird Rescue. It gives you how to register, um, all the materials you need to go out into your community to look for birds. And then we have another website called birdsafe.ca, which is more for the corporate sector, providing tips on how to build new buildings and uh, work with assessing their buildings on how to reduce those strikes. Michael Masur is the co-founder of FLAP, Fatal Light Awareness Program. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Rose in Mississauga phoned about how she voted when she cast an early ballot. So I cast my vote for the Liberals, the Conservatives. Uh, if they go into power, they will cut health care. And if school cuts, daycare and climate change, they are not going to do anything on it, even though they are saying that they are going to do, plus the gun control. So those are things that they really bother me because I used to be a conservative before. With Trudeau, uh, he has done an excellent job under the rest of COVID. 
the things that he has not accomplished, you can imagine how overwhelmed they were in order for them to get the, the, the vaccines, to get people, uh, to get people uh, vaccinated and, um, they secure the vaccines and, uh, they, they gave serve, uh, to, um, to people who need it. And, uh, uh, the, it has been uh, a very tough time for, for Trudeau. Sue in St. Catharines phoned with her thoughts in the final days of the federal election campaign. Whether it was the right time for the election or not, now is not the point to worry. I'm a Canadian citizen. My due right is to vote. But what this has shown me is I didn't trust O'Toole, but I didn't know him. And now I really don't trust him because he contradicts himself so many times and he relies on mudslinging. And I think the vaccination mandatory is mandatory and what they're putting in, because according to the human rights, yes, everybody has rights, but you do not have the right to endanger other people. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Pat in Toronto, who phoned about his wish for a change in how our ballots are counted. You know, one of the things that hit me uh, watching a lot of CNN is the aspect that in the U.S., 18% of the population can basically control the U.S. Senate. And if you remember in the last election, one of the things that Trudeau was talking about was having this electoral reform, but it was sort of that all your votes would count, uh, whereas some of us are in a riding where we're wasting our vote uh, because it will be a clear majority for one or the other. Um, I think that's very important to get back to that idea because this, you know, ties in with the thing we all learned in high school of rep by pop, representation by the population. And we really don't have it today with the way the system is working. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.